Well, church family, we are entering into the third and final week of our, of our series that we've titled A Christmas Carol. And we've used this phrase, how Jesus affects our past, how Jesus affects our present, and how Jesus affects our future. That when Christ is born, when God sent his only son into the world, he has affected us in a real way. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus transforms our past. I just want to refresh us as we go into this last message of this series um, so we can understand the fullness of what we mean when we say Jesus affects our past, present, and future. Jesus transforms our past. And what, what we said when we use that as a phrase is that God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. We looked at the genealogy, right? The names that led up to the birth of Christ, the different people that went before Jesus, the men of God that, that found in the lineage of Christ. God is now entering into the world through the birth of his son, and he's doing a new thing, and he's transforming our past. Some of us here have struggled with past this season of life. Or maybe you've held your past over yourself, or you've held it over somebody else, and I just want to remind you, if you need that message this morning, that God is doing a new thing. And for some of us, we just need to let him do that. Maybe God's taking you into a new season. Maybe God's challenging you in new ways. Maybe God's saying, hey, you need to let that go so I can do a new thing in you and then through you, God is doing a new thing. Last week, we focused on the present and we talked about how Jesus empowers our present. And we use that word empower because we believe that when God says, I'm with you, that changes everything. Like when you step into the room and God is there next to you, when God says, yeah, he's on the list, he's on my list, or when God says, yeah, I paid for that, or yeah, actually, I do know him, that's my friend, that's my child, everything changes. He empowers our present. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says that you will give birth to a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, God with us. Isn't that so good that he's with us? That he's actually with us this morning. He's actually here right now. I thought about these verses um, that, that, that David would go before, hundreds of years before Christ was ever born, and he would prophesy this to be true in Psalm 139. I just want to show it to you on the screen really quick. In Psalm 139, this, this poem that David writes is really a Christmas prayer. He says it like this. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the darkest of darkest places, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you know what he says? Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That is a word for you this morning. If you're in a dark place, if you're in your own Sheol, or if you're in the most heavenly of places that this earth can provide at this moment right now, know that he is with you. The Christmas story is the reality that God is with us. And if we miss that reality, we'll miss the very purpose of why we're here and why we're singing today. That he is with us. I want to lead us into our moment now as we go ahead and identify the last 
component of this message, which is Christmas future. Christmas future. And I want to talk about how Jesus impacts our future. So he transforms our past. He empowers our present. And now he impacts our future. Whenever we choose a word here at Walk Church within the sermons, they, they, they come with intentionality. We don't just choose words just flippantly or foolishly. The word impact was chosen for a reason. I want to give you the definition of the word impact. Simply put, the action of one object coming forcibly into contact with another. The action of one object coming forcibly into contact with another. I believe that Jesus in the story of Christmas is saying, I am forcibly coming into contact with people to impact their future destination. Jesus is saying that I want to change the game in your destiny, in your eternity. He changes our future. What does the word future mean? Simply put, the future is what's to come. The future is what has not yet happened in our lives. The definition of future is just time regarded as still to come, as a later moment in time. Jesus says, I've come to impact, come head first with you and to change your future. When I look at this definition of, of impact, and I see words like coming forcibly into contact with one another, I think of, for some reason, football. I don't know about you, but that's kind of what comes into my head. We are in season. Is anybody excited about football season? It's okay if you are. A couple hands. Don't be over spiritual. I didn't say y'all needed to clap now. I'm just <laughs> But there was actually a play that, that popped in my head as I was talking about, thinking about this word impact. I remember coming across this play um, not too long ago and, and seeing this in action. I thought, you know what? This is what I think of when I think about Jesus in action, impacting our future. I want you to watch this on the screen with me. Third and goal. Brady takes the snap. Here's the blitz. Rolls to the right. Fires to the right. It is intercepted in the end zone. Up to 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Left sideline, 35, 40. Heading all the way down the sideline. Foot race. Bailey stepped out of a tackle. Chad Bailey, 30, 20, 15, 10. Did he get there? He's hit out of bounds, I think, at the one. Ben Watson shows the hustle, doesn't get... Yeah. <laughs> we got a couple claps for that. I like it. <laughs> and and um, a couple reasons why I want to show that. One, because Benjamin Watson is a man of God. I've heard him preach before. Dude is a, is, is a beast. Um, when it comes to his relationship with the Lord. Uh, but also, I wanted to show you that because um, I think if you can just try to grasp this illustration with me, even if you're not a sports person, just, just go there. I, I, feel like, I feel like we're, apart from Christ, we're like running toward eternal destruction. And the Christmas story is Jesus like, whoa! <laughs> like, I'm about to, like, I'm about to forcibly come into contact with you to change your destination. Like we are full speed heading to eternal hell, eternal death. The wages of sin, our sin, my sin, your sin. If you didn't know it, you're a sinner and so am I. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all dropped the ball. We've all missed the mark. God has set a marker in place. It's this bullseye that, that says God on it. We're supposed to aim at that. We've all missed it. And the reality of our miss 
is that God owes us something, and that is death. Because he's a holy and righteous and just and perfect and spotless and blameless and good God, he must give us what we are owed. And that we, what we've provided is sin and the wages of sin. The debt for sin is death. And so here we are getting ready to run toward our death, even if you don't know it. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right to man. And in the end, it leads to death. You could be thinking that this is, this is awesome, this is right. A lot of times, we're kind of like that, 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 that cooking frog, right? How do, you, how do you kill a frog, right? You, you, you put them in the, the pot and boil some water a little bit, and then you turn it up a little bit more, and then you turn it up a little bit more. You don't just put them in there, he'll jump right out. A lot of us are just kind of like taking steps, taking steps, taking steps toward our eternal destruction, and God's like, whoa! I want to change the course of your destination. I want to impact your future. I want to come into collision with your future and impact it. And the only way God could impact sinful people's future like you and I is for him to step down and do it himself. And he checked his son into the game. Like, God was like, son, I'm checking you into the game. And I want you to save the day. I want you to, before they make it to that finish line of death, I want you to tackle them out of it. Has God ever tackled you out of some, some, some garbage, some sin, some struggle? I know he's done that in my life. And at the, at the moment, it hurts. You're like, what happened there, God? Jeez. He's like, I'm just protecting you. And that's what he does with our future. So not only does Jesus transform our past, he does deal with our past, praise God. He forgives our past. He redeems our past. He transforms our past. He empowers our present. We have the power of Christ living in, in us today. We can say no to sin. We can walk out our faith. You can stop being addicted. It's because of the power that's in you. But also, he finishes the course. He goes three for three. He impacts, he impacts our future. The Christmas narrative primarily is prophecy and action. What I mean by that is if you read the Christmas narrative through two accounts, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, here's some of the things you'll see. You'll see this phrase, three words, it is written all over the place. You see, the authors of the Gospels were men, Jewish men, who understood the prophetic words that went before them. So prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Malachi or Joel or Micah, right? All of these men of God who who spoke on behalf of God as prophetic words, they believed them to be true. And that's why all throughout the Christmas story, you'll see this phrase, it is written. One of the greatest prophecies fulfilled in the Christmas story comes out of the prophet Isaiah's book. And I want to look at that right now. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to look at one verse, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, we got it for you on the screen today. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. My man. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. As we get ready to read this one verse right now, may it capture our hearts. May it capture our minds, God. In the same way Ben Watson tackled that guy, Lord, if you need to just run up in this room right now and tackle somebody, tackle their heart, God. Knock on the door of their heart and mind. Wake somebody up the same way you said, Lazarus, come out. 
If you need to say that to somebody on Christmas Eve 2017 here at Walk Church, would you do that today? Do that in my life? Do that in our church? For your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen. John 14, or uh, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six says it like this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now maybe you would ask why this selection of scripture for Christmas. I believe that these four nicknames that God has placed upon his son affect our future. The fact that God says, here's, what, here's one of the ways you'll be able to identify my son. One, he's going to be the wonderful counselor. Two, he's mighty God in the flesh. Three, he's a representation of the everlasting father. And fourth, he is as a, the prince of peace. It's who, it's who he is. The verse starts out by saying, to us a child is born. This isn't just a Christmas card greeting. To us, a son is given. One of the things we talk about often at Walk Church is the subject of generosity. I believe that we are shaping a generous church. One of our core values here at Walk Church is generous living. I love hearing from people about how you're just being generous and how you're opening your hands and opening your resources and opening your heart and your time to be generous. We are a generous church, and I, be I believe this. Generosity gets the ears and the eyes and the attention of people around you. And God's saying, hey, I want to get your attention. And here's what I'm going to do. I am going to give my son. Notice that it doesn't say, for to us, a child is born, right? And two people made this child and this child was born. That is not the Christmas story. The Christmas story is very much so God choosing to give his son. Mary is caught off guard. What is going on here? Joseph is super confused. Why are you pregnant? And we are, you know what I'm saying? All right? What's, what's happening here? Here's what's happening. God is giving something. More importantly, God is giving someone. God is giving us his son. And Mary's about to realize the reality that this scripture is coming alive in her life. And Joseph is be, beginning to understand that the prophecy of Isaiah 9-6 is actually going to be lived out between Mary and I, and I'm going to get the opportunity to raise the son that is given. If you want to know more about Mary and Joseph, come to the 4 o'clock service and watch our awesome skit, and I think you'll be edified by it. Let's go. Um, to us, a, a, a child is born. And a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I praise God that Jesus Christ's shoulders are broader and stronger than any president, any king, any prince, any sheik, any priest, than anybody that Jesus Christ has shoulders to carry the one in true government. And he's the one that we should put our faith and trust in today. This is a prophetic word about us choosing Christ over anything else, about us pledging our allegiance to him over anything else. That doesn't call us to be disrespectful or disobedient to the law. That just means that Jesus Christ is even above the law and we trust him 
We trust him. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And there's this new kingdom that is one day coming. When I talk about Jesus impacting the future, he is setting up a new heaven and a new earth that he has written for all of us to be a part of if we would trust in him by faith. That's good news this morning for all of us today. Now we go ahead and tap into these different phrases that he shall be called. How about God is a God of nicknames, right? He's passionate about names, and each name is significant. Last week, we talked about the significance of the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's talk about some of these other names here today. The first name that we see is Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. This phrase, wonderful, in the, in the Hebrew text is very rarely used. It's almost like a mysterious word. Wonderful means it has so much wonder. It has so much splendor. It has so much uh, wisdom and magnitude. He's that type of a counselor. That Jesus is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-saving Messiah who is stepping into the world. And I want you to be encouraged this morning that he's that counselor for you and I today. I love how Jesus puts it, the grown-up uh, wonderful counselor in John 14, 26, says it like this. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. Some translations say he will counsel you with all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I want to show you that because Maybe you need to tap into that truth. Tap into, lean, lean into, press into this moment that Jesus says, I'm your helper. Raise your hand if you need a helper. Maybe it's just me. All throughout the day, I'm, I'm praying prayers. God, help me, strengthen me, teach me, counsel me, focus me. If you don't have that type of prayer life, I think you should. As you walk into work, say, Lord, counsel me today. As I counsel others. As I get ready to post on social media, as I get ready to go home and play with my kids, as, 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 I, as I be the spouse that God's called me to be, as I'm walking through singleness, as I feel tempted or I feel addicted, God, help me. Counsel me. The Christmas story is about God saying, I'm not just going to counsel you from above. I'm going to counsel with you. Let me put it to you like this. Daily, we should enter a counseling session with Jesus. Every day you should go to counseling and go to counseling with Christ. I like that, counseling with Christ. That sounds cool. Uh, but you should. Maybe you didn't know you could do that. Maybe you felt like you needed to schedule an appointment for next Sunday. As if this is the only time you have counsel from God. You can have counseling every day with God. You just got to tap into, in, into Christ. He says, hey, look, Peter, James, John, the disciples were like, Jesus, you can't go. And he says, what do you mean? The helper is coming. I have to go. I am only can be with you physically so much right now. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. How do you think the gospel writer John wrote the gospel of John? If you know about his testimony, he was outcast on the island of Patmos. He, he didn't have all his notes and journals. That was his punishment for believing in Jesus. And I believe he wrote the Gospel of John out of supernatural remembrance. The Gospel of John was written 30 years after Jesus had lived and died. 
that long afterwards? How can we trust that it is true and right and strong for us today? Here's how, because Jesus said, I'm going to give you remembrance of what I said to you, and I'm going to be a wonderful counselor. Jesus demonstrated wonderful counselor all his life. He was, he was demonstrating counsel and wise counsel as a baby. Why do you think three wise men showed up? Like, and they're the ones bowing down with their gifts saying, even, even I can learn something from this baby. At 12 years old, in Luke chapter 2, you see Jesus in the temple teaching the rabbis. And they said, what are you doing, 12-year-old boy? As the rabbis are leaning in on every word. And Jesus said, I'm the wonderful counselor, right? Like, I got to be about my father's business. I'm in the house of God this morning. I'm glad you're in the house of God this morning and that you're spending time with the wonderful counselor through the preaching of his word. That was the right choice this morning. The second thing that we see is that God is, is, is placing this title upon his son, Mighty God. Mighty God. God. This is, this is another reality of who Christ is and will become. The word mighty is just another word for strong, powerful, big, tough, authority. He is mighty God. Mighty God. We see his mightiness displayed through his miraculous gifts. We see it through his miraculous Miracles, right? You see Jesus doing things like turning the water into wine or feeding the 5,000, right? Or raising Lazarus from the dead. Think about all the miracles that Jesus did in the Bible. There's hundreds of miracles that Christ did. And then the gospel writer John, again, he says it like this. Talk about mighty God. We'll see it in John 21. Let me show it to you really quick. It says that there also are many things that Jesus did, which if they were written in detail... I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. That's a lot of things Jesus did that we never even got to see. Talk about a good conversation in heaven one day. Like, Jesus, could you tell me about, like, when John said that, tell me about some of the other stuff we didn't even get to see or read about. Tell me about those times growing up. Tell me about those times when you were doing those miracles. How often did you walk on water? Right? You are mighty God. You are, you are mighty God. Jesus has come to do all types of things, right? Jesus has come to be with us. Jesus has come to save us. The angel whispered to Mary and said, you'll give birth to a son and he will save his people from their sins. Jesus said, I have come to call lost people and to set captives free and to break chains and give sight to the blind. So if you feel messed up in the room today, he's come for you. If you feel like you got it all together and you're righteous, you don't. And he's still come for you. Right? He's come to change the game. He is mighty God. He's so strong. There's nobody stronger than him. And, and here's one of the lies of the enemy. And really, I say the lies of the enemy. Sometimes we tend to think, man, the enemy's stronger than God. What a lie. As if the devil has something on him. I love this verse of scripture right here. This is a Christmas verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Read this off the screen with me. Ready? 1, 2, 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Did you realize that? You say, why does Christmas need to happen? Why did the Son of God enter into the world? Let me tell you why. Let me give you at least one reason. There's a ton of reasons. But one of the reasons is to destroy the works of the devil. 
He's saying, I'm not playing around with the devil. I'm destroying the works of the devil. And I want you this Christmas to tap into the promises of God that are yes and amen in Jesus. If the devil has been doing things in your life and you've been listening to those voices, know that the Christmas story is speaking to you today. He's come to be mighty God over those voices. Wonderful counselor over those voices. Speak back to those voices. A young man came up to me this morning before service started and he said, hey, pastor, the devil tried to get us from to, to not come today, but we're here. That's mighty God in action right there. I love that. I love that. I'm glad you are here, young man. Let's go ahead and move to the third uh, descriptive word of Christ. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. This is a uh, somewhat of a controversial title, to be honest, when it comes to the name of Jesus. And here's why, because we are very clear here that the, the God of Jesus is, is the, the triune God. So there's the Father God, there's the Son of God, Jesus, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And all three are God, all three are, are one, all three are, are, are not separated in God-likeness, but all three are separate beings as well. You do have God the Father, and you do have God the Son, and you do have God the Holy Spirit, and all three are God. But they're all three unique beings at the same time. In other words, it's not like God's like, hey, I'm God the Father. Wait, wait, I'm God the Son too. Wait, wait, I'm God the Holy Spirit. He's all three in one all, all the time. If you try to think too hard on this, your brain's going to explode, and that's okay. But here's what I want you to know. When it comes to, to God stepping into the world through his son, it doesn't make Jesus any less of God. Jesus is the God-man. He is 100% God, not 99.8% God. He is 100% God, and the crazy thing is he's 100% man too. So that's why we can relate. That's why he can be with us. I mean, Jesus was a baby the newborn baby can relate to Christ because he was once there. And in this case, when he's called everlasting father, what he's showing is a demonstration that he is God in the flesh. In Colossians chapter one, we see this descriptive in verse 15. It says that he will be the image of the invisible God. People wanted to see what God looked like. People wanted to feel how God felt. People wanted to know what God was like. And God said, I'm going to let you know what I am like through my son. Commentator R. Kent Hughes has a great descriptive on this. He says it like this. He says, when we see him, who's him? Jesus. We know just what the God of the universe is like. We know how he thinks. We know how he talks. We know how he relates to people. God has spoken in his son. God has spoken to us in his son. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus declares, I am God. He does. One of the greatest and easiest moments where he declares, I am God, is what we talked about last week. He has the name of Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word put on flesh, and He dwelt among us. 
Jesus is the very image of the everlasting God. This baby born in a manger is God with us. And he left his spirit to be in us. And that is such good news for us today. As we go ahead and make our way to the fourth a nickname of Jesus, as you would here, he's called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. I truly believe this. Just hear me, church. That God wants to give you peace this year like maybe you've never had it before. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. First off, he wants to give you spiritual peace. Spiritual peace. Peace between you and God himself. Jesus Christ has, has become the mediator between God and man. Sometimes you'll hear me say it. You're on this side. Sin is right here. God is right here. And there is a barrier between us. When Jesus Christ comes into the world, he removes the barrier. And on the cross, he links us together. He, he bridges the gap. That's Jesus saying, hey, I want you to have a relationship with God. I want you to have spiritual peace. If you don't have peace about your relationship with God this morning, you can have that found in Christ. You can call upon his name and say, God, give me peace. I want to have peace and right relationship with you. God has done everything that he needs to do to make things right with you. All the way by sending his son to living the life you couldn't live, to dying the cross, on the cross that you deserve to die on, to rising from the grave that you would have stayed dead in, and now still interceding, he's speaking to you today through me. Like God is still trying to get your attention. It just so happens it came through this man of God today. And God's saying, hey, I'm trying to give you peace. The second thing of peace that he wants to give you is not just spiritual peace, it's relational peace. He wants to give you relational peace. When we talk about peace on earth, he's saying, hey, I want you to be in right relationship with the people around you. I want you to enjoy this Christmas season in a right way. Relational peace. All throughout the Bible, you see God trying to make things right with one another. And that we're called to then live that same reconciliation with others. Paul tells us that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile with one another. I encourage you today, if maybe you got relationships that aren't necessarily right, it's Christmas time. Maybe now would be the time to take that step, to initiate making that relationship right. Whether that's apologizing or asking for forgiveness or even extending forgiveness, whatever it is that God is placing on your heart that you need to do, you can trust that the Prince of Peace will go before you. You can trust that the Everlasting Father will clothe you in that moment. You can trust that mighty God will be with you in that relationship. And he wants to give you relational peace. Relational peace. So spiritual peace, relational peace, and finally, eternal peace. Eternal peace. When we talk about how Jesus impacts eternity, that's what Christmas is all about. That you can know, that you know, that you know that he has done everything that he needs to do and that you can have eternity secured with him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, we see the apostle Paul say it like this. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. I think all the Bible's trustworthy, church. 
But there's some verses that the apostle says, this one's really trustworthy. You can really lean into this one. It deserves full acceptance at Walk Church this morning. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, I'm the worst. <laughs> and I took part in that. Why did Christ Jesus come? He came to save you. Let me give you a quote from C.S. Lewis before we close. Why did Christ Jesus come? Well, the Son of God came to become a man and to enable men to become sons of God. God, God said, hey, I want my son to have more family members around him, namely you and me. I love this quote by author Corey Ten Boom. He says it like this. Who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believe in him. The reward of faith is that you shall have everlasting life. That's the reward, church, is that Christmas is saying, hey, we'll be with him for eternity. We'll be with him for eternity. That's what we can, that's what we can bank on. That's what we can, we can dig our heels into this morning. And that's my encouragement for you this Christmas is that you would put your trust in him. I want to close with one last quote by author Henry Blackaby that I read this morning. I was reading in his daily devotional. He says it simply like this. When God speaks about his plans, he does so with everything already in place to fulfill his word. God never speaks hypothetically. He knows exactly what will come to pass. He simply asks you to believe in him. He simply asks you to believe in him. I read that this morning in this devotional. I love this devotional. It's a good one. Any, someone want this devotional? I want to give it out to somebody right now. Who, who would benefit from it? I'm going to give it to you, Miss Maria. Just because that's all your hand first. Thank you. <clears throat> you got it, sister. As we prepare to close right now, it's simply that. He knows your future. He knows what it holds. He's done everything he, he, he can to get your attention. He simply asks you to believe. To believe. And maybe on Christmas Eve 2017, you would say, all right, I'm ready to receive him. I'm ready to believe that he is a mighty God. I'm ready to, to really put my yes on the table and say, you know what? He is the Prince of Peace and I need him. I'm ready to say he is the everlasting father and I need that type of father. Not a father who's gonna leave me, but a father who's everlasting. I need that type of savior and I'm gonna put my faith in him.